0: everyone and welcome to another episode of The Riff. Uh, my name's Cameron. I am a commercial lawyer from Adams and Partners Lawyers and I'm here today joined with Lauren. How are you, Lauren?
1: Good, thanks. How are you?
0: Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. Uh, and as you are all aware, we are here today to have a chat about some legal issues and we're talking about a big one today. Big we case. are.
1: We are. We're talking about a very big case that's been absolutely all over the news for quite some time now it is
0: now as you could see from the title we're talking about uh george pell i just want to start this off for everyone today with a disclaimer that we are not here to pass any judgment whatsoever our job here is as lawyers to inform you of what the case was about and uh, the facts of the case the evidence of the case and how
1: what the, the disputes were that's right all of that
0: and how the court and first of all the The Magistrates Court, then the Supreme Court, then the High Court got to their decisions.
1: How we got to where we are today where Mm. the judgment was appealed.
0: That's right. Everybody knows... What the end result is, but we want to take you on the journey of how it got there.
1: Exactly. And because it's such a a big deal in the sense that there is a lot of society response to this, there's also a lot of misinformation. Um, so this is a clear, concise Mm. summary of how everything happened. Mm. We're gonna
0: trim the fat for you all today.
1: Exactly. I think the
0: best thing to do is just to get into
1: it. I will note that when we say trim the fat, we are doing just that. This was a long, long trial, as was the appeals So if we skim past something that you might have read and go, that's really important, um, we are trying to keep it concise and clear.
0: Yep. The main key contentious points.
1: Exactly, exactly.
0: Okay. The best thing to do, Lauren, is for everyone out there in podcast land is to give them the facts. Exactly. So I'm just going to run through the facts uh, and we will see where it takes us. I'll
1: point out the important aspects. Obviously, being the criminal lawyer here, I'll point out the important aspects of what effectively the defence and then then the applicant appellant relied upon in yep. terms of saying that the verdict was unreasonable.
0: Yeah. So we'll focus on the incident. Exactly. So we've got to go back back in time to about 1996 or 1997 exactly. depending on which witness you rely upon here?
1: There was some um, difficulty in finding clarity as to the year. And it's important to remember that obviously when dealing with historical offences in any real way, especially if it's a child witness, Mm. it's very difficult to nail down a time. That's right. Um, It's probably important to note that there were five sequences that Pell was originally charged with, but it surrounds sort of two key times two key times so two key allegations so
0: what's happened is i'm going to paint a picture here so back in 1996 ish 1997 pell had just become the archbishop of the catholic church in melbourne yeah and in melbourne he had only been in the job for about a few months to a year only in that position it was if it was in
1: 1996 it was Fresh, Fresh. very fresh. And in 1997, it was still new, but a little bit more routine. Mm.
0: Now, not everybody goes to church, uh, I imagine, out there, but everybody kind of knows the procedure of it. And what happens is, so Pell was the archbishop.
1: The big guy. The
0: big guy. And then the incident occurred with two of the choir boys.
1: Yes, so one incident involved two choir boys. It's important to note because it will be referred to a lot throughout the podcast. As at the time of the original trial, the second alleged victim had already passed away. So the complainant who did give evidence was alive um, at the time of the trial. That's
0: right, so the incident occurred uh, and what's happened is there has been a mass on a Sunday, and as the mass procession has happened, there has been two two of the boys in this choir boys, one of which is the deceased, the other one's key witness in this case, and they've done their duties that they do on a normal Sunday mass, and they've decided at the end of the proceedings, going back happened, into the church, going after back into all the happened. church, they've decided that they're going to break away from the main group of the other twelve choir boys. So ten choir boys left, two have moved on. Are uh, these two have decided to go into what we call the sacristy, which is a very holy room.
1: It's it should be probably really stressed here that the sacristy yeah. is where effectively all the all the trappings of the church like is all held. The big
0: gold you know, um,
1: hundred-year-old holy, holy
0: artifacts, and everything like that,
1: and the kept. the holy wine and yeah. anything that is of great importance. It's basically the church vault. Yeah.
0: So the allegations are that these two boys went into the sacristy to drink the communal wine that had yeah. been used for the proceedings
1: and mess about and
0: mess about. You know, just as twelve-year-old boys would do at the time. And what has happened is that Archbishop Pell has appeared at the door and he is fully robed at this That's stage. A very important very point. Very key point. Okay. And he's proceeded to sexually assault them by exposing himself, forcing them to perform sexual activities yeah. on himself. Uh, so the complainant in this case, which is also one of the witnesses, said this assault took about five to six minutes, and there was nobody else around. At no, this stage. it was
1: just allegedly these two boys and Archbishop Pell. Yeah,
0: and in total time, these two boys were away from the mass procession for about twenty minutes.
1: Yeah, so they were away from the choirsters, the which is the group of choir boys, for all up. Approximately 20 minutes. 20
0: minutes, give or take. And then what has happened? So that's really the big incident that's yeah. happened in the sacristy. And then there's also a second incident that has happened where the complainant here has alleged that whilst he was walking in a line of about 50 people with the 50 choirs, the 50 is when they're, you know, going in and out of the church, hell has slammed him against the wall and forcibly grabbed his testicles. Yeah. So that's the second allegation.
1: It's a sexual assault. It's an act of indecency. So
0: they are the two main issues in this case, and that's what the basis of this whole case was tried on.
1: So that's the two primary allegations, and that's what the appeal primarily focused on as well. It's important to note that there was an initial trial uh, where all of this evidence was laid out and proceeded however the jury couldn't come to a verdict so there was another trial Mm -hmm. and again it's it's important to note that the facts in this span ever-arching I've been Cameron can attest that I've been reading about this case for a
0: it's a big case and, and it's like this with these historical matters where when this case first you know came into the court system it was about 2014 Yeah, and prior to that,
1: people might remember that Pell wasn't coming back to Australia to face the allegation and some people might remember the Tim Minchin song about him coming back to Australia to face the allegations. And so when he was first interviewed by the police, it was in the Vatican, it was in Rome.
0: Yeah, so these are proceedings that have been going on for a long time.
1: So there's a lot involved. There's a lot
0: involved. So we've gone through really the crux of what the case is. Now we're going to pick out key arguments of each side in this case and then how that's gone further through.
1: Exactly. So there's there's a number of inconsistencies with respect to the complainant's version of events. So there's a number of aspects of his evidence that are just inconsistent with how things allegedly would have gone.
0: So we'll start with the the first one, the easiest one which we've already touched upon is the sacristy. So the sacristy is one of the holiest rooms in a church.
1: And especially this church. This was the main church in Melbourne. This was where the Catholic church sort of came had its base. And Archbishop Pell was the head guy he of was. the head church And the in new Melbourne. head guy, which we exactly. need to stress. He
0: was trying to show everybody that he was doing a good job. Exactly. And he
1: notoriously was, in effect by personality, a politician. So he was all about the show, the front, keeping the Catholic church having a good name. And realistically, the Catholic church is a body of routine and structure and things like that so having the holy room or the holy vault if we can call it that in the church being secure safe regulated and really really looked after is huge
0: the key thing to take away from this and this was some of the evidence for the defendant here which was Pell is that Two boys just couldn't have gone into this room. Just
1: popping on into the holiest room and swigging out of the wine unnoticed with no other witnesses saying that they saw that or that the room had been in any way dishevelled or that it was unlocked. Yeah. Because it was a huge piece of evidence that to go in and out of this room with ease just wasn't a thing. No,
0: you had to be a, an important person to go to go into this.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's it's like letting anybody in and out of the bank vault. Yeah. It just wasn't. And in 1996 as well, when religion was, and especially the Catholic religion, yeah. was a really big deal. Yeah. It was just not something that could conceivably have occurred.
0: The defense made this submission that the two boys could not have gone into this room. And what is somewhat astounding here is that the the prosecution came back and did not even challenge it.
1: A really important point, and we will talk about this further into the podcast and probably in part two, yep. that a lot of the evidence that was raised really by the defence, even though they were prosecution witnesses, just completely remained unchallenged. And that's just something that as a criminal defence solicitor, if it's not challenged, it's really considered accepted because the idea is that you're to put to a witness. I say that this is something that could have possibly happened and if the witness says, no, that could not have happened, yep. then that's a really strong piece of evidence. Yep. But if they simply don't challenge it, then it's almost as if they're going, they're yep, that's it. the case.
0: And, and what we we should have said as well before, Lauren, is the key po- point here is for Pell to be prove, proven guilty, it had to be beyond reasonable doubt.
1: And that is a huge threshold. So is- it has to be, if there is even 0.0 microscopic point of doubt, you can't give a guilty verdict. Because realistically, this is a stain that just does not wash away. And it's a huge allegation to have really sexually assaulted a child. Mm. It's huge.
0: Especially a person in this position.
1: With this standing. And realistically, the fact that he has gone through these proceedings in in this way, it's a stain that is unlikely to wash away. But it is still even more important to ensure that any verdict is obtained with the highest standards of our criminal justice system.
0: That's right. So we've talked about the sacristy. So that was unchallenged. Next step is the robing. Yes. So now the key point of evidence here is in the allegations by the complainant, Pell walked into the sacristy and he was fully robed. Exactly. Now, from what we understand about the process of robing the archbishop at this stage, it is a very precise and delicate process that doesn't take... <laughs> 5 minutes.
1: A lot of people have this concept that it's almost like the Scottish kilt that you just chuck it on and nothing's underneath. And YouTube videos and multiple inquiries into how robing works by myself has found that it is intricate. It takes approximately 15 to 20 minutes to have the robes done, and it generally requires assistance.
0: Mm, you can't do it yourself.
1: No, and it's a matter of putting on six and seven different apparatuses that all accumulate into the robe so although it kind of almost looks like a dressing gown there's a lot going on under there including microphones being set up because we have to remember this was a huge physical church Church,
0: yeah so the fact of the matter and this is what the defense um, their submissions were that the fact that he was robed and he went into the room for about five minutes and then came back out of the room It's just, just unlikely. It's just unlikely. And the fact that he came out and there was no witnesses that said that his robes were disheveled or anything like that, it was very, very unlikely that he could have possibly have done this just due to the fact of the clothes that he was wearing.
1: Exactly. And the two aspects that are important there is that the complainant says that it was a matter of him, and sorry to be so crass, but whipping it out. Yep, And it's just not something that could have reasonably have been done considering how layered he was and then the other aspect that's important is that the church was well and the parishioners of the church were very gossipy yep. because it was the new guy in town he was the new head honcho of the catholic church so if he had in some way shape or form whipped it out it would have been noted and he would have been disheveled and it really would have been gossiped about.
0: Because this is the guy that everybody's looking at.
1: He's the new head honcho in town. And
0: there was no evidence to support the fact that at any stage that he came out, his robes were any different.
1: The other aspect is that it was accepted by witnesses and it was accepted by the prosecution that it was a very gossipy area it was important that there was a new guy in town. So somebody
0: would have said something if they saw it. The defense made these submissions and this came back and was not challenged at all.
1: It was not challenged at all.
0: Okay, which like we said before, somewhat means that it's accepted.
1: Then the other part that's important about him being robed is that there was centuries-year-old policy effectively um, that whilst a bishop is robed, they're not to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And it's this whole concept of, presenting this united front and this team of the bishops and things like that, that they are so important and they can't be left alone while they're robed because they're representing the church and God. And it's somewhat considered that having the bishop robed means that he's representing the church, which means there has to be someone that's making sure he's doing his job properly and reporting back to the Vatican Mm. if there is stuff-ups.
0: And what is very interesting in this case is because Pell was trying to do such a good job that he not just had one person that was looking after him. He had two people assisting him at all times. He generally
1: had two. He always – because the idea was that he was coming in, he was going to be the big head honcho in town and he was a politician by nature. So he wanted to make sure that everything was regulated, everything went perfect. And it's almost a reputation of his that he was so critical and so hyper-controlled that it was frustrating to people.
0: Yeah, that's right. He he built up a reputation of being quite frustrating.
1: And difficult because of how ordered everything had to be. So the fact that there was this policy that he wasn't to be left alone, he said, well, I'm not only going to have one person, I'll have two. So that way if one person goes to get a cup of water, there's someone else there. And it's accepted in evidence by who the the person was that was with him. So there was the main guy who was always with him and then the backup. Yeah. And the main guy who was with him gave extensive evidence. But it was accepted by the prosecution because it was unchallenged that it's very unlikely he would have left him and would have left him without it being noticed.
0: Which puts holes into these allegations. Exactly. Because he was away for five to six minutes.
1: On a Sunday mass. On a Sunday
0: mass. It just it's very unlikely that nobody would have noticed that he was not around.
1: Yes. And it's the other aspect of this, and this isn't a really highly taken point because it's his evidence was almost discredited. And I don't say discredited because there was holes in it, but discredited because he was the person facing the allegations. But Pell effectively said, I would not have gone into the sacristy alone because I was the archbishop. If I had gone into the sacristy alone, which he's not supposed to do, you're supposed to go in together, get all the trappings for the mass, and then remove yourself. It was a matter of if I had gone to this, into the sacristy alone, I would be offending my God. Mm-hmm. So he was a politician. He just wouldn't have gone into the sacristy alone because it would have looked bad.
0: Yep. So, next point, key point of the evidence here is with the choir boys themselves. There's always 12. 12 in a mass. For the mass. For the mass. And those 12 boys have duties in the mass, before the mass, after the mass. Yes. The defense made the submissions that for the boys to be away from the group for that period of time, it would have been noticed.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, if these two boys did leave the group of choir boys, then this person would have noticed that they had left. And especially because they said that they were gone for twenty minutes. It's not a matter that they popped out and came straight back. No,
0: they had things that they needed to do. And people like would have noticed it, especially the other ten choir boys. So that's a key point. Another very, very key point here that we haven't discussed yet is that when these allegations were made against Pell, they were made that there was two boys in the room and Mm -hmm. that he sexually abused both of them now at the time that these proceedings have come around the second boy is deceased so yes he so he away. wasn't able to give evidence So he wasn't able to give evidence at all in this case
1: but prior to the actual trial the allegation had been out for a long time had been made for a lot, quite a while yeah. and the investigation had to take place and obviously the investigation wanted to be done in a way that was detailed because of his standing Mm-hmm. But the second boy had obviously become aware of the allegation because it involved him. And he completely denied the allegation. He said it didn't happen. Which Which is
0: what the defense brought forward. They said that this second boy has completely denied these allegations. And obviously, he can't give evidence now. But when he could give evidence, he denied it. Exactly. And this was unchallenged.
1: It was unchallenged. And realistically, they couldn't challenge it because this boy had quite...
0: That's not the most contentious point. It's
1: not really contentious that he denied the allegation and that he couldn't give evidence. But it is really interesting the fact that this second person who was supposed to be sexually assaulted said that didn't happen.
0: Hmm. Last thing that we're going to talk about here is we've already touched on the fact that Pell was with two people. He has stated at all times. Now... There was two people. There was uh, the first person that was with him at all times was a man by the name of Portelli and the second person was a a person by the name of Egan.
1: There was. There was was a third person who gave evidence that's worth noting. His name was Potter, but we probably won't touch on him too much.
0: We'll focus on Egan and Portelli. Now... Going back to what we said before, Portelli was the man that gave evidence that said I was with Pell at all times and if he would have left me at any stage throughout the day, I would have
1: noticed. He says that he remembers the day in 1996 and that he was with him.
0: One of the key things that the prosecution didn't do here, though, was they didn't call in for evidence from Egan, who was the second person that was with Pell.
1: And he was supposedly there on the day of the second allegation being when there was 50 choir boys and Pell grabbed the complainant father Egan was there running this mass in effect but of note it wasn't just that the prosecution didn't call him as a witness it was that the police didn't take his statement mm. so we'll go into this in a bit more detail but the fact that there wasn't that there was a relevant witness and they didn't call him or bring him It's quite important that there was somebody who was an eyewitness and just wasn't put before the jury.
0: Which is a gaping hole in the case that the prosecution's trying to make because everybody out there needs to remember that the burden of proof here is on the prosecution slash police to make this case about... This allegation. This this allegation about George Pell. So the fact that this...
1: Key witness wasn't brought is really important.
0: it's, It's really important... Not just from the initial standpoint of the prosecution, but also the fact that the jury here, because this was a jury trial, had to make a decision on this without this key piece of evidence. Exactly. Now, remember, they're trying to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. So if it is beyond a reasonable doubt, you really need as much evidence as Possible.
1: There needs to be all the evidence put forward so that you know whether or not you should have a doubt.
0: The leaving out of that witness almost opens itself up to the fact that it wasn't beyond reasonable doubt. Yes. Which is what we'll get into in the next podcast with the High Court. But that's something key to take out of And you. there
1: is some legal principle with respect to not bringing a witness. But again, we'll get into that in the legal issues segment yeah, of, yeah. of this saga. Now, there, was,
0: there was just one more piece of evidence that you wanted to touch on. Yes.
1: So it's important when you look at the timeline and obviously when you're going through a trial, you go through each second almost of what this allegation is supposed to have been. But the complainant says that he was gone for 20 minutes. Well, he and the other boy were gone for 20 minutes. Five to six minutes of that was the assault and that there was some window on either side, obviously being when they first get into the sacristy and they're playing up. Pell allegedly comes They stay for a bit because obviously they would have been shook up by what had happened. And then they are supposed to have taken a specific route back to where the choir boys then disrobe and leave or finish their jobs and everything like that. The complainant gave evidence about how he walked back to this room and it was shown and unchallenged that he would have had to have gone through two locked doors and gone a very long sort of unnecessary way back to this room, nobody else in the church noticed. And it's accepted that after a Sunday mass being the biggest mass, and it was in December, so it was leading up to Christmas Christmas, mass, that it would have been a hive of activity. And that phrase is thrown around a lot, that there would have just been a lot of people around that would have noticed if two disheveled choir boys were coming back and going through locked doors. Mm. So it was unchallenged that this was the evidence that was given. Yep. And it's quite significant when you say so you're saying after this happened you were disheveled, you've gone back this way to go to the choir room. Yeah. And you've gone through two locked doors.
0: That's a big big element when you think about that. But each point that we've touched on here, so the sacristy, the factor or uh, with the robes, so you know it wouldn't have taken it would taken him, sorry, a longer time to get unrobed.
1: Yep. That he wouldn't have been left alone. He
0: wouldn't have been left alone that one of the key witnesses wasn't brought forward and...
1: The fact that the boys said that they went a certain way. A
0: certain way. And also the fact that the second boy was deceased.
1: And, and denied it.
0: And denied it before he passed away. These are all elements that the defence used to say, hey...
1: It's not quite right.
0: It's not quite right. There is no way that you can say that beyond a reasonable doubt, Mr Pell abused these boys.
1: Yes, and the fact that all of these factors were raised and the jury still came back and said, yes, this complainant is telling the truth and this is what happened. Mm. And we'll get into the fact that the complainant's evidence was taken at a really high regard in the second podcast. What I think is is exceptionally important for people to note about this is that we are talking about a Catholic church, the main Catholic church in Melbourne City in the mid-90s, and it was just such a highly regulated place. Yeah. These things didn't... It,
0: You've got to put yourself in what the situation it would It wasn't be. No, relaxed.
1: It was, it was tense. No. It was... Everything had to go according to schedule and plan. Yeah. And the complainant says that, they, that these two boys were able to duck off. Yeah. This was able to happen, come back, and that everything moved on and nobody noticed or nobody said anything. Yeah, yeah. And... We'll go into a bit more detail in the second one as to how all these legal issues play out. But the prosecution didn't challenge the relevant parts. They didn't challenge the witnesses that were giving contradictory evidence. They didn't bring significant enough evidence to effectively discredit these really contradictory points. Yeah.
0: Taking all that into account, we know all those factors that we've gone through here.
1: We've set the scene. We've
0: set the scene. We can give one quick spoiler here which is that at first instance Pell was found guilty. Yes, he was <laughs> so found guilty. So taking to get all that, he was found guilty. So next week we will go through the key legal issues and the problems with them and then how it has transitioned through the courts to the high court with the most recent decision.
1: Exactly, and importantly that it went to an appeal, the conviction was held up and then it went to the high court. Yes. So the fact that it took to the High Court for it to overturn a jury verdict and how and why that's so important.
0: And we'll explain why that's such a big deal.
1: And also that the High Court found seven to nil that the verdict should be overturned. Yes. And as lawyers, wow. Yeah. That Se- is. Seven huge. nil doesn't happen. It just does not okay. happen.
0: Well, I think we're we we've gone into a lot of detail this week, Lauren. So think we'll wrap it up there. We'll save some for next week. So once again, thank you everyone for
1: listening. Thank you for listening.
0: Uh, if you're liking this podcast, please give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening listening to or jump onto our Facebook page at uh, just search Adams and Partners Lawyers. Give us a like. You'll stay up to date with everything that's going on and we'll be back next week. Okay?
1: Thank you, everyone. Thank Thanks you. for listening. Speak to you soon. Bye. Bye.